0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Barb Knows Best, the podcast. It's great to be here today. I'm Michelle Maros, your co-host, and I am here with my mother, who pretty often tends to know best, (laughs) Barb. Hi, everyone. Hi, Barb. Hi, Michelle. How are you today? Doing okay. How are you? How's it going being you? Oh, no, you're asking me. (laughs) Yeah. I am... Good. I'm a bit tired, mm-hmm. but you know, yeah, I'm always tired.
1: No, you're not always tired. Don't don't label yourself <laughs> like that.
0: <laughs> but I'm happy to be here, and I'm happy to be with you because this week, yeah, we're doing something fun. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a little. I almost said, well, we're recording this on a Friday, so I said Friday fun day. But you. Likely won't be listening to this on a Friday, but regardless of what day you tune in, it's going to be a fun day. Um, If you follow us on social media, which I hope you do, we we put out a poll for you all to submit questions that you would like for us to answer. And so, if you missed that, make sure you're following us because if you all like this, we'll do it again. But um, we really wanted to hear from you and dedicate a whole episode to answering your burning desires, questions, what's up for you, what you wanted to hear about, and just kind of throw in a little bit of a different format for the day. It's very,
1: because I love, I love, love, love answering people's questions. And we get so many all the time without even, without even asking for questions, we get so many. So I think this um, episode will be really helpful, um, like all of the episodes actually, but this one in particular, because we do love your questions and part of my whole path is about how can I share my experiences and my, um, you know, tips or or thoughts on, on a lot of the deeper subjects of life. And so now we get a chance to, to spend the next, um, you know, hour or 45 minutes or whatever it is to answer your questions. So I'm really looking forward to this.
0: Yeah. And what's cool whenever we do this is to really see, what's up for everyone and Mm -hmm. to kind of notice the trends and the questions and the similarities. And if nothing else, it really solidifies for me that oftentimes so many of us are really going through really similar circumstances and kind of makes, makes me feel less alone, which is amazing. Um, you know, you really realize that everyone, you know, there's that quote, everyone's going through something that you know nothing about or something like that. And and when you all send in your questions, it makes me realize that even more so. We all we all have stuff. <laughs> yeah. Even if we might think that someone has it perfect or someone's life is perfect or they're not struggling or they're not suffering or whatever it might be, whatever story you might write, go back and listen to the stories episode. Um, you know, we all have stuff. So um, we're super jazzed to go through some of your questions today and hopefully You know, if we don't get to your question or we didn't answer your specific question, you know, I think we all can relate to some of these topics. So hopefully you all will find something, you know, that relates. Terrific. Let's get started. Are you down? I am. I'm ready. So first of all, um, we had an overwhelming amount of questions that just wanted to know more about us. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, what is your story? They want to hear about our background and our relationship. So, um, do you want to? Yeah,
1: I'm happy to. I'm happy to start that off. Um,
0: I got. We have one. What is your story? Would love to hear about the backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Um, have we ever had periods of time where we weren't so close?
1: Start with those three. And I think uh, And do good we place ever fight?
0: <laughs> this, this, these four could probably take up the entire episode. So yeah. So I'll try Let's to keep get it into brief it.
1: so we can make sure that we answer a lot of the questions, but. My story is I'm 65 years old, and I, um, I, my childhood, I was the oldest of five, had alcoholic parents. Both my mother and father were alcoholics, so it was very unpredictable, very traumatic. Um, so I, um, and we, we, we didn't have a lot of money, so it was a really tough childhood. So at 14, I started working to get out of the house and um, to make some money, and to try to find myself, actually, and to try to find a place where I felt like I fit in and where I could get some attention and some um, love, really, and get some consideration. So I started working at McDonald's when I was 14, um, loved it. They loved me, really became very successful as a 14 year old, if you mm-hmm. can believe that. I mean, I was working like crazy and still going to school. Type A. Um, definitely. And so, Fast forward, um, I owned my own restaurants before the age of of 21. Actually, excuse me, before the age of 23. I was was around 21, 22 years old when I owned my first McDonald's restaurant. And I was thriving. I was, you know, had everything that I'd always hoped for, you know, recognition, success, um, money, all the things. Um, But it was taking its toll. And um, my supervisor came in one day and said, "Um, Barb, you look like you really love this job so much. And I can tell because you've put on weight since I saw you last. Yeah, and that just changed my whole life. All I could think about was something really wasn't right with me. Something was the matter with me, and that's why, um, you know, I needed the success and the happiness, and so I needed to fix that. So I became bulimic for about six or seven years, checked myself into treatment after I could no longer function. Um, My life became incredibly unmanageable and really couldn't get out of bed. Um, So when I was 28 years old, I checked myself into treatment and it changed my life. I learned how to meditate there. I learned yoga. I went to massive amounts of individual therapy and group therapy. And for six weeks, um, I was really like in a, um, in a sequestered place. Couldn't, we didn't have phones. That was 1984. So we didn't have cell phones or any of that. So it changed my life um, and embarked on this uh, whole path of recovery which actually opened up the relationship that I have with myself, opened up the path that I knew that I came here to live. And that was to become, you know, the greatest version of myself and to love and trust and accept myself completely. And the more that I do that one day at a time, every single day, um, I love sharing it with all of you. So Michelle and I in 2011 started Peace of Mind, Peaceful Life, the um You leapt.
0: leapt. You skipped a whole chapter. You had me after you got out of treatment.
1: I thought you were going to talk about that. I did. I had I had Michelle in 1985 when I was 29 years old. Skipped the you. whole
0: chapter. No.
1: I thought you could fill that story in. But yes, I had you and you changed my life. Aww. Um, there's nothing really, for me, it was when you really can get out of yourself and I learned that in treatment and start putting your efforts and your energies into um, something that you know, really makes you feel um, like you matter. And I think the idea of that, that was the thing for me that I really started to understand that I matter as a human being and now I had another little precious human being that I was responsible for and that I loved dearly. And so I think that unconditional love that I never felt as a child and craved it because we all crave to be loved and unconditionally loved and to feel safe and so i think that that um having you change my life completely and put the two together my path that i was on in recovery and then having you um just catapulted my life into choosing what is going to be um in alignment with with who i am and what i want Amazing. so how about you
0: well i'm your daughter yes. <laughs> um but Um, I'm your daughter. Yes. (laughs) So, um, I grew up with a mom who was a meditator and, um, who really was a model for meditation and mindfulness, although she never put it upon me. And, um, you know, I went to college, I graduated college, I got a job in corporate world, was pretty unfulfilled, not unfulfilled, you know, it served its purpose ran its course. um, And I had always, I I was really into yoga and the practice of yoga and how it made me feel. And I decided to pursue yoga and do a yoga teacher training. And um, in my yoga teacher training, of course, my yoga teacher um, started talking about meditation. And I was like, oh, this is what my mom has been talking about my entire life. How crazy. And so that was my gateway into this whole world and that whole practice and at that same time you were starting to form what is our nonprofit called Peaceful Mind Peaceful Life which was the organization that houses these meditation and mindfulness programming and workshops and practices and you needed help and I also went to college um, for journalism. I'm a I was a journalism major and I'd always liked to write. And so, um, it all kind of came together and here we are all these years later.
1: Yeah. And I think to answer the question, do we ever, um, what, what was the word of that question? Do we ever fight or do we ever have?
0: Yeah. Do we ever fight like most mother daughters do?
1: Yeah, absolutely. All the time. I think that's the thing that is so important to remember. Um, Learning having a practice in your life and, you know, meditating or, or doing yoga or um, just really deepening that relationship with yourself doesn't mean that the outside world is gonna be perfect and that everything is gonna be just fantastic and you're not ever gonna come up against roadblocks or come up against any confrontations that that all is still there. So we are we are we are normal human beings, whatever that word normal means. We are human beings. Let's just put it that way. And so, of course, we have a lot of friction as any mother-daughter would or as any relationship might. Um, but I think the 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 thing to remember when you have a practice or when you're really starting to open up your life and get deeper into the relationship that you have with yourself, which we talk about a lot, you're able to you're able to when you come up against a confrontation or a fight or a or a situation where we're just really not in agreement. You're able to go through the argument, and then you're able to come out the other side. Okay, wait a minute. We love each other. We care about each other. Let's have a conversation. Um, so we're able to really talk about. Okay, you hurt my feelings, or I got my my feelings hurt, or I'm not really liking what's happening right now. This is not okay for me. Can we talk about it? So. I think what happens for us the most is that we are always able to come back to having a conversation, maybe not right away because so, I don't want you to think that that's perfect, but we always are able to say, okay, wait a minute. At the core of our relationship is love. We care deeply for each other. We love each other. So what's happening? How are you feeling? Um, so we're open to each other's feelings and each other's um, ideas and each other's um I think actually like your, your interpretation of what's happening because we never know what's actually happening in another person and that goes for us as well. And so sometimes Michelle might interpret something so totally different than, my, than I do, which happens often actually because we are two separate human beings. And so when I hear her take on something, often I might be shocked. Like, wow, I had no idea you felt that way. I had no idea that that's how you took that. So I think it's important to understand that life doesn't get easier. You just get more committed to making the relationships that matter most work and making them more meaningful and really, really caring. Because we talked about this in the boundaries episode that um, we set boundaries with people that we care deeply about because we want that relationship to get deeper and stronger, healthier and more fun. And so I, we, are, we are the same. And of course we do. And I don't think that that will ever change.
0: No, I I definitely agree. Um, We certainly have our issues like anybody would. But to her point, you know, we communicate, we care about each other. And, you know, (laughs) we've been in therapy for a long, 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 long time. So it's it's work. It didn't just like I didn't pop out of the womb and we just had this like perfect relationship. Um, I think the thing that I think of whenever anyone asks us this question is it's work it's not just like yes I'm very lucky and I'm very grateful to have you as my mom um, because it is we do have such a great relationship but we work at it all the time and um, it hasn't always been easy and I think for anyone who who might compare your relationship with your mom to us just know that it's work just like any other relationship, and then we have our ups and downs. And so the other point of people asking, have we always been this close? Um, You know, I went off and lived my life and did my own thing and lived in other places, lived in other cities. Um, And so, you know, we've always been close, but um, we've had phases where we don't see each other as much or, you know, we're both doing our own thing. So I think life has its ebbs and flows and it's different chapters. And the thing that I just hope you can remember if you're thinking about this with your relationship with your mom or your parent or your guardian or whoever is just like not to compare because everyone has their ups and downs and there is no perfect looking relationship. So um hopefully that answers all of your questions about us. But, you know, you can ask more. Yeah. But Enough about us. Um, I have a, an interesting one about red flags. And this, this came up, and I had never really thought about it this way, but it's, it's pretty good. Um, why do red flags look obvious after the fact and not why in the moment?
1: That's a great first question from someone out there. Um, I would say that um, they are present in the moment. We aren't present in the moment, so we're not actually paying attention, or we're not um, feeling it in the moment. Because I'd like to back up here a second. A red flag to me is—I um, think it's called a red flag—in the moment because we get the hit in the body. So let's just give you an example. Like if, if I if I am looking back on a situation, and I say, "Oh my gosh, that was a red flag." If I truly go deeper into the situation, I can always trace back. Wow, I had I had a hit in my stomach, but I ignored it. And then I just said, oh, this will be okay. Or I can change this person or it's not really that bad. Or maybe they were having a hard day or whatever it is. Um, I can always trace it back to, wait a minute, Barb, in the moment your stomach sank or you felt it in your body and you ignored it, or you just kept pushing through thinking. So I let my head override what I knew my body was trying to tell me. So I would like to say that I think we talk about this often in the episodes is that when you feel something in your body and you're in a relationship or you're in a, um, you're being, you're being presented with a question or you're being presented with an opportunity or you're being presented with a decision that you have to make, always check in with your body first. So pause before you answer, before you do anything, before you allow your mind to take over what it thinks you should be doing in this moment because oftentimes the mind doesn't know and it's just going to start making up a bunch of stuff. And a lot of times it tells us false things. So pause and check in with your body. Oh, that just, my shoulders just got really tight or whatever is what's happening for. And so I check in with my body. I'll say, okay, Barb, your shoulders are really tight or you've got the pit in your stomach. What are you feeling right now? And oftentimes I'll say scared or uh, not safe, or um, this is going to be a confrontation. So what I'm feeling in the moment usually is, wow, this is not okay for me. So now what do I do next? Now what is what? Is, what do I have to say next? Or what do I need to do to be in alignment with with what my body is telling me? And so I believe we're not often in the moment to answer that question. We allow the mind to take over, and so we start thinking about what we what we can change or what we can do instead of honoring what is happening for us in the moment. And I, I I do that through my body.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think that I have two answers to this. I think first, sometimes we get the red flag hit like you were saying, but we ignore it or we don't want to believe it or we want to override it thinking that we might know better or that we can change it or that, you know, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, those are all of the things that have happened for me or that I can fix it. Um, I think we get the signs sometimes and we ignore it. And even we can feel it in our gut or have our intuitive head and just be like, well, I, I know better. Or I can do better. And then also I think that sometimes we just don't know, you know, I, what came to me was the Maya Angelou quote, you know, forgive yourself for not knowing what you didn't know before you learned it. And sometimes we don't know that that would be a necessary like a necessarily a red flag for us in something you know mm-hmm. maybe we don't think it would be that bad, and we have to go through it to learn it or or you know it's something that we had never experienced before, and so I think baseline of of ignoring a red flag or you know having that judgment about ourselves is is self forgiveness because whatever it is that we've been through, we've learned something and then hopefully we can take that with us as we move on to another relationship or another circumstance. So, you know, forgive yourself for not knowing what you didn't know before you learned it. Yeah. Cause
1: that's what we're here to do is to learn and grow. And I love that. Michelle, I really love that you added that because it's, it's so important and it's so true. And every little thing that we go through, um, You know, after the fact, these red flags are making us wiser.
0: Always learning and growing and becoming. Yeah, exactly. So uh, someone else wanted us to talk about grief while someone else, while someone is still alive. Like for an example, a loss of a relationship, which is also a good one. Um, Of course, we did a two part series on grief and death. So I think some of that is relatable as well. So you can go back and listen to those episodes. But what do you think about someone who they when they're still alive, like a friendship, a partner, colleague?
1: I think you go through the same steps that you go to if the person had passed away, because truly um, it is true that not every relationship we have in our lives is going to be um, ones that go all the way to the end. You know, people are here for, there's that quote, people are here for a reason or a season or to teach us something, you know, they come and go. There are very few relationships that take us all the way to the finish line of our lives. So I think you work through it the same way you would as if the person had passed away. And for me, that means that um, I I look at all of it. You know, you do, you do the inner work. Um, and sometimes we can be in denial. And I think the quote of Maya Angelou works well there too you know, sometimes things come up and we didn't know them. And now we're becoming aware of them. And as we do the inner work of how we feel about the situation and how we feel about the loss of a relationship, we can be in denial. I know for me, when I think about relationships that have, that I, you know, I've been divorced. And when I think about that, I was in a lot of denial and I was in a lot of self, um, you know, beating myself up and being all the things that, well, wow, I could have done this or they could have done that. And so I think you just have to really work through, okay, what are all the feelings that you're feeling in this moment? And so for me, it was, came up was denial. For me, anger came up and working through the anger. So I would do a lot of journaling and a lot of writing and really go through the whole process as if the person were dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and understanding that every feeling that you can get out, the denial, the anger, um, and even sometimes when you get out, get through that, it's like, well, maybe I could go fix it or maybe I could go make this relationship work again. You start this whole bargaining part of the grief process. I, I, could, I think I could go say something to them. So you, you work through all of that and you stay with yourself or another person could be a therapist or it could be someone that you're really, really close to that you trust completely and just have them. So you can remember properly all of the reasons why the relationship ended. And, um, and then you get, you come out the other side, usually after you've done through that whole process with some sort of acceptance. Um, I, I don't like to use the word closure because sometimes it doesn't actually feel like closure because there's still remnants that can still be there, but you get some sort of acceptance. Okay. Yeah, this is, this is truly happening and, I can now accept that this is happening after I've worked through the stages of grief. And I mean, I've worked through the stages of anger or bargaining or denial or trying to figure out what could I, there has to be something that I can do. And sometimes there's nothing that you can do. And that's, that's, that is doing something.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I've, I've had a lot of relationships end, and a lot of friendships come to an end and it's, it's painful and it is, a level of grief, and I think sometimes, it, I mean, not to compare, but it can feel harder when the person is still alive because you feel like you can. There's still an avenue to reach out or try and fix it or change it or, or whatever that might be. So I, I do think that idea of acting as if they're gone will help you to process the feelings of grief without kind of like putting yourself back into the situation like it you can change it. Yeah. You know, obviously if someone has passed, you can't change that. And so rather than like picking the scab of the wound by trying to change it, if someone is still living, you know, kind of just act as if they're not and really at least while you're in like the really painful grieving process, if you know, for some reason the person comes back around later or whatever, that's a different story. But, um, you know, I think you really have to treat it the same and go through the process and go through all the stages and, um, and grieve the loss because it is, it is painful even if the person is still living.
1: And I would just add one more thing to that, Michelle, that, um, you know, it's, it's, It is painful. So really have some really good, healthy boundaries for yourself. If the person is, you know, since the person is still alive, making sure that you're taking care of yourself and then you're not putting yourself, as you said, Michelle, in harm's way, you're not, you're not picking and opening up the wound every time. So having some good boundaries, even though that might feel even more painful in the end, it will feel less painful because you will actually be moving through the process. So set some really good, healthy boundaries, um, and and not be in the presence of that person or or not even having conversations with, with people about that person. And really, I love that idea that it is, it, it is a loss and it is as if the person had died. So treat it that way, especially in the beginning.
0: Yeah. And as I'm going through some of these questions with some similar themes, you know, some people have asked, you know, how long does it take to mm-hmm. get over a lost relationship? Which, you know, is this? The same as when we talked about grief, there is no timeline to grief. And I think sometimes like with breakups or friendship breakups, we think that we need to get over it really quickly to move on and, you know, cultivate new relationships. But just be gentle with yourself. I don't think there is any timeline. You know, it takes how long, however long it takes. Sometimes the wound is deep and sometimes those wounds take longer to heal. And sometimes we surprise ourselves and we're like, wow, I'm pretty good. Um, so I would just emphasize that timelines are kind of crap and, you know, whatever your timeline is for you works for you. And, you know, the same, someone else asked how to get through a a devastating breakup. You know, it's a it's grief while someone is alive. So think about these things like taking care of yourself while you're feeling those feelings and, and going through that process. And like you were saying, set some good boundaries And, um, and know that those feelings, no feeling is final and that you'll get through it eventually.
1: Yeah. Um, and, and someone asked, do you feel grief in your gut? Yes, absolutely. I'm a huge proponent. I think Michelle and I both are of feeling your feelings in your body and it's okay. And not only is it okay, it's really magical actually, because you can get through something in your head, but if you can't, but You can get through something in your head, but if, but it's even more powerful and it actually is, is the process of a grief or it's the process of any feelings is to get them to move through your body as well. So of course, yes, I feel grief and I feel breakups and I feel difficult relationships and I feel confrontation. I feel all of that in my gut. I feel all of that in my stomach. I know sometimes feel it in my chest where I, I can't breathe sometimes like, Oh my gosh, I can barely breathe. So feel the feelings deeply in your body. And as Michelle said, no feeling is ever final. So you will move through that. I think sometimes the fear of feeling it in our bodies so deeply is that it can take us over or, Oh my gosh, we're, we're, we're going to, we're going to have a, um, you know, a serious meltdown or a serious breakdown or whatever that is. And sure that might happen, but it it won't last and make sure you have people You know, good, good, good friends that you trust or a therapist to, to work it through if it gets overwhelming, but it's, it is normal. This person asked, is it normal to feel grief in your gut? Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Grief is, I I guess we could do a whole other episode on grief, continue the series on grief, but it's, it's so layered. Um, I like this one. How do you deal with being confused? Hmm.
1: That is a really good question. Um, So if I'm confused, I usually will pause or I usually see I have a meditation practice and I have a a practice of sitting with myself and journaling and that. So if I'm confused, I will literally take some time. And I think this is a really important thing and a really important part of the work that that I do and the work I think, Michelle, I don't want to speak for you, but the work you do is you have to take some time to acknowledge what's happening for you. It is impossible to say I'm confused and then just keep going. And that's what I really want to say first. If you're feeling confused, if you're feeling angry, if you're feeling um, uh, hurt, or if you're feeling any of these, whatever you are feeling, you have to take the time to acknowledge it. So what I will do first is I'll say, wow, I'm confused right now. Sometimes I'll say it out loud to myself. I do a lot of talking to myself. Mm. I'm confused right now. And then I'll say, okay, Barb, what are you confused about? What is happening right now that has you confused? And so I will walk myself through all of that. And often, when I'm confused, it you more often than not, it comes down to I'm scared. I'm feeling less than. I'm feeling like I'm not up up to the, up to par, or um, I'm not enough for the situation, um, or I'm feeling that um, what I know that I need to do is, might not be something that I feel like I can do. So all of those, all of those things that I just said are all things that I can then make a decision. Okay. Maybe I'm not feeling up for the task in this moment, but I can ask myself, wow, it's something that I really want to do. So when can I do it? So I have a whole conversation with myself and I might, I'll probably do some journaling so that I can get even more clear and I can actually see what's happening because when we're confused. It's so important to understand what's causing the confusion, mm-hmm. and so I—that's my practice. Um, I always want to get to the root of what's going on. And confusion is a feeling, and I'm confused. I'm—it's it, it, actually really not a feeling, but it leads to a feeling, and so get clear on what the feeling. What are you feeling in the moment? What's causing you? And I don't, don't actually like the word "why" so much. Why am I feeling? I don't usually use "why." I'll—I'll I'll always use or most always use what's happening for you, Barb, what, what's happening right now. That's causing you to, to be confused. What's happening right now. That's causing you to be angry. What's happening right now, Barb, for you to, for you to feel this deep loss or this deep feeling of suffering or overwhelm.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I love that. What's happening for you. Um,
0: And I think too, um, not to interrupt, but one of the interesting things I, When I would get confused, especially if I'm making a decision or a big decision or I have to make a big choice and I don't feel like I know what to do. A friend told me a few years ago, you know, if you're confused and you don't know what to do, maybe you don't, maybe it's not time to make the decision. Mm -hmm. Maybe you don't have all of the information that you need to have. And maybe the, the confusion and the not knowing is your answer right now until you can feel more clear. And you can feel more clear based on what you just all went into of taking space and talking to yourself. But, you know, if you're having that inner conflict or confusion or don't feel like you're clear, maybe it's not time to act on whatever it is you're not clear about. Love like that. that is your clarity.
1: Love that so
0: much, Michelle. And that always helped me because I'm like, you know, you, it, let, it lets you off the hook. Like maybe I just, I don't know right now because I don't have all of the information And when I, when I do, I'll know, like I'll know when I know. Um, And that helps you to also start to trust yourself because a a big issue, and I see this in the questions too, about learning how to trust yourself is, is trusting ourselves to make these decisions that, that we won't, won't make wrong decisions, but you know, when you take that pause and connect with yourself and ask yourself the questions and really just settle in and not make knee jerk reactions and be so, you know, amped up in like a frenetic state, we can make decisions and say the things that we want to say that are aligned and that are, you know, really in integrity. And when we start to like cultivate that, that system within us and that build that muscle that we always talk about, that's how we start to also build the trust within ourselves that we're not going to, we're not going to ruin our own lives because we're confused and we make wrong choices.
1: I love that so much, Michelle. And I think, uh, yeah, so much to start giving yourself some grace and love. I think too often we think that something is wrong with us if we're confused or if we're angry or like we're just not allowing ourselves to actually be human and it's okay not to be okay or it's okay not to know i mean i will often say to someone if they ask me something i don't actually i don't know actually i'm not even sure about that or and that's not being confused necessarily and i think sometimes we we think we're confused just because we don't know everything or just because we don't have the answer exactly what you're saying so i think the bottom line of everything is being okay if you're confused <laughs> And, and so then, then using the, the, the steps that I use and then asking yourself, okay. And sometimes you're right, Michelle, sometimes it'll get to a part where you know what? Just stay confused for a while. What is that thing? Like stay in the questions. Mm-hmm. And the answer will come. So stay in the acceptance. Stay in the acceptance that it is okay not to know it is okay, not to feel okay. Just stay in the acceptance of, uh, stay in the acceptance of yourself. As an extraordinary human being with love and grace.
0: I think the grace thing is important because we put so much pressure on ourselves, sorry, to always know everything. And we don't know everything. We can't know everything all the time. So if you're confused and you don't know, just sit in it. And like you said, be in acceptance and you know, you'll know when you know, um, and I think that that's a really good first step to building trust within yourself as well. So I love it. That's a, that's a good one. Um, all right. <clears throat> There's a big, big theme and many. I would say the overwhelming theme with all of these questions. And we could probably do a whole episode on it and maybe we will. But to give a little taste of what we would say, um, how do you handle having relationships with narcissists Mm. like literally I'm looking through all of the questions and probably every other question has some element of narcissists or dealing with narcissism or healing from a narcissist. So, um, I guess to just to start, like, how do you handle having a relationship in your life when someone is a narcissist?
1: this is one of the hardest um, I think it is the hardest relationship that you can have I agree because a narcissist actually I mean a narcissist everything is about them everything everything so we have to you have to understand a narcissist is all the way on the end of the spectrum so it's way down the, it's way past selfish um, it's way past selfish <laughs> it's way past all of that so having a relationship with a narcissist is is literally, Um, I would say close to being impossible unless you're able to understand that they are a narcissist, unless you're able to understand you cannot ever, ever, ever change them. And that the only thing that you can do is have the strictest, most healthiest boundaries with yourself, with them. And so never taking anything personally, never trying to think that you can change them, never thinking that it's going to get better never thinking that if you were a little bit more kind or if you were a little bit more this, or you really, none of, all of those things go out the window. There is no um, compromising. There is no understanding. There is no, um, I mean, narcissists will make you feel like they, they've abused you, you know, in, a, in any which way you want to look behavior. at it. Their bad behavior. And then blame you. Well, if you were a little bit nicer to me or if you lost a little bit more weight, Maybe I wouldn't be so
0: ultimate gaslighters,
1: ultimate gaslighters, and so I think you know you're right, Michelle. We get so many questions about narcissism, and I think the the biggest answer I can say again is you have to take care of yourself, and so really, you need to have the strictest boundaries possible, and so you have to come to an acceptance that am I what you have to come to an acceptance if you're going to stay in the relationship with the narcissist, if that, if you see no way out or you don't, you know, like this is just the way it is. You have to come to an acceptance that you have a, you have this like, um, beautiful golden shield around you. And you just accept the fact that there's nothing you can do. And so kind of you let whatever they do or say, just really just, um, you're surfing the waves of mm-hmm. the ocean and it just goes right over you and it just goes right over you. And that's really, really hard. I don't, I don't, it's not, it's not really easy to do that, obviously. So I think you have to figure out a way um, to wish them well from afar, which is my, my, my go-to always with people that um, I'm in a relationship with that, that really needs to end, or that really has to have some very strict, strict, healthy boundaries.
0: Yeah, I would agree. I think what to remember too is even if you're trying to figure out if this person is a narcissist is to like, you know, are you always questioning yourself? Do you feel like you're not enough and that you're always trying to get their approval and that nothing is ever good enough? And, you know, it's it's all about them. And to your point, you can never, ever change. I, we did this whole episode a few weeks ago about um, change, not being able to change people anyways. But, you know, if someone's open to it, they can work on themselves, but you can never change a narcissist. And I, I don't really think a narcissist will ever change. Um, and they're always going to act in their own best interest. And the biggest thing for me is like, you can't take it personally when they act in their own best interest. And it's so harmful to you because that's just how they are. It's like how their brains are wired. And it, it truly, I think it, outside of anything else, it doesn't even have anything to do with you because it's, they're so tunnel visioned within their own life and whatever it is that's going on for them in their minds. But interestingly enough too, I heard something recently and I'll have to find the source of it, but you know, the tricky thing about narcissists and I think it's how we get so looped up into them and it's so hard to get out is they're very charismatic they know how to say the things that that you they think you want to hear to keep you on the hook. They know how to kind of fake it so that they'll think that they're trying to be better or to change to to make you feel like everything is okay. And that's why I think sometimes it's so hard to even understand that they are narcissists or that, you know, that maybe they are getting better, but... An interesting thing that I heard is that, you know, narcissists will often, you know, go to therapy or tell that, tell you that they're going to therapy just to be manipulative, to like manipulate you into being like, look, I'm, I'm working on myself. I'm trying to change or they'll go to therapy to learn the language to speak to you and to make you feel like they're they're not what you think that they are. And that changed everything to me because I know a lot of narcissists that have been like, well, I'm going to therapy, I'm working on myself. And I don't think their intentions were pure with that, you know. And so I think you have to just remember that a narcissist will only do things that they think are in their own best interest to continue the manipulation, to continue getting whatever it is that they want. Um, and that's a painful
1: truth. And that's why it's so tricky because let's face it, a a definition of narcissism is, is that they, it's in their best interest and it is that they will go after what they want and it's an incredibly selfish, like it's all about them. So how do you get a narcissist to actually see that truthfully and work on themselves? And that's why it's almost impossible. I don't know. I agree with you, Michelle. I, I know quite a few, I've been in relationship with a couple um, and I don't, I don't know how you ever would get a narcissist to see, wow, I am being really selfish here. I am being self-absorbed. Let me actually work on that. So that's well, they why could, it's so but tricky. They don't care. That's why it's so tricky. Well, they don't actually, as you said, they're, they're doing it to manipulate you because they don't actually really believe it. Um, and so the other, there's another little add on question that goes with that. How do you heal after getting out of an, an abusive relationship with a narcissist? And I think the key thing to understand is everything that that we've said and everything that you really beautifully said here, Michelle is that it is never about you and it's never your fault. I mean, you, you have to truly, truly, truly be able to offer yourself so much love and compassion and forgiveness and care and respect. And cause they've really beaten you up all along the way. And it, it, if it is physically, but also mentally. So you really have to do a deep dive into becoming whole again and be understanding that, wow, this was really something that was totally out of my control and I've actually suffered trauma from it. Um, For me, the idea and the definition of trauma is like being powerless, being absolutely powerless to establish any kind of boundary between me and whatever it is that's inflicting the harm upon me. And so this is a really deep wound of trauma. So you have to give yourself the, the ultimate care and love and compassion And not try to figure out what you did wrong to truly understand that you were powerless to establish anything is when you're in the, when you're in the, in a relationship with a narcissist, that's my, that's what I have done in a relationship with a narcissist that I have to really understand that it was never about me and it was always about them.
0: Well, and I think too, you have to go through the process of unlearning everything that you, that you learned from them that you thought was true. That's not true about yourself. Yes. Because of course they are gaslighters and manipulators and they'll make you believe the worst things about yourself. And it's a process, a healing process of unlearning and cultivating that relationship with yourself and learning to trust yourself again. But also, of course, I think the top of, of this question has to be, you know, find some sort of counseling therapy um you know depending on on how bad it was or how you feel you know it's it's really it's a a web that you have to move your way through and sometimes the web is really thick and a lot of times we need professional support to really get through it and get through the other side and so i mean i've been in therapy practically my whole life and i can't recommend it enough so um if you can find a therapist that you like and trust that's always helpful but you know there's also um social workers and counselors and other things like that in your community so just finding someone that can help you um and support you and help you move through it is is always i think the top of healing from anything obviously but absolutely especially with something like a narcissist Heavy questions. Um, let's get into something a little bit lighter as we start to wrap this episode up. Um, what's your favorite book?
1: Well, my favorite book is Man's Search for Meaning. I have several. Which we've discussed. Yeah, I have several v- favorite books. Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Um, what's yours?
0: Um, my favorite book is... I think right now I would say Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. Hmm. I kind of ebb and flow with favorite books mm-hmm. for different phases of my life, but I love how she talks about creativity in that book, and and just how like it it made so much so much sense to me how she talked about how you get ideas and how they live with you, and and you know you how you have to act on them or they will leave you, and it it just it really struck me and resonated with me. And, you know, thinking of my own creative projects that I want to be working on, it's like you have to act on them. And I think she does a really amazing job at talking about the creative process.
1: Nice. Um, I like what you said, Michelle, because books can ebb and flow. You're right. And Man's Search for Meaning has been one of of the foundational book of mine that I've read so many times. But you're right. There's another book that I highly recommend, When Things Fall Apart by Pema Chodron. That Mm -hmm. changed my life. Um. And, and understanding the whole process of all of that. So yeah, and if if you're um, on social media with us, we'd love to hear what your favorite books are.
0: Yeah, and if you want more book remind or book mm-hmm. recommendations, we have a whole bookshelf on yes. our peaceful mind peaceful life website, peacefulmind dot org. Um, you can go over there and search for the bookshelf. And you can see some of our other favorites because there are quite a few. What's your favorite TV show?
1: Oh, my gosh. My favorite TV show um, is Mom. Mm -hmm. And I know it's not on the air anymore, but it was my favorite. It was about, you guys are going to laugh, I'm sure. It was about a mother and a daughter, um, both addicts, both alcoholics, (laughs) (laughs) and their relationship. And I do have to say, I loved it so much for many, many reasons. It was funny. Um, but I, probably the greatest thing that I loved the most is it was really, really accurate. It yeah. really portrayed um, addiction, alcoholism incredibly well and incredibly accurate from my vantage point of being, you know, in recovery for, for decades. And it also portrayed mother daughter relationships, especially the dysfunction of mother daughter relationships. So If you're looking for something funny, but also has a real amazing depth and and beauty about it, actually, um, I highly recommend finding mom.
0: Yeah, we watched that together during COVID, the early stages of COVID when we were home a lot. And I had never seen it before and I knew that you loved it. And it's very good. Mm -hmm. I'm sad that it's off the air, but it was very accurate in a lot of ways. Yeah. So if, if you're one of those people that ask the question about mother-daughter relationships, go watch Mom. <laughs> um, and what's your favorite pastime? I would say or what do you what do you enjoy outside of work?
1: <laughs> I love walking on the beach. I love being near the water. I love being on the water. i love I love the beach. Um, I love the mountains, too, but I, I just love walking on the beach. And then I also, I also love poetry. Hmm. Um, I love to read poetry. Um, I love passages and things like that. So I, I love to sometimes pick up a book on poetry and read poetry. Um, and I think this could parlay just a little bit if I could segue here for a second. Someone asked a question about poetry. Um, what do you do if you've got a mother that never admits she's wrong or apologizes for past traumas? And I, how
0: does that segue? Let me
1: give me a chance to explain. So my mother was an avid lover of poetry and she used to use mm. it a lot. Um, but I never, I mean, I, you know, it's interesting how you think about things when you're older and then you remember these things when you're older that happened when you were younger. And she was an alcoholic and so many past traumas and so many things. And, and I don't, I never got apologies for the past traumas or the, or the hardships. Um, But I think what, what we can do when we don't get an apology, because we can't ever, um, we cannot ever force anyone to admit or to do an apology. But what we can do is, is what I feel like I have done with, with my own trauma with my mother is as she was as I was growing and as I was becoming more um, understanding and more learning and understanding of the traumas and the things that happened for her, understanding that it wasn't personal, that this was her life and what she learned and heredity, all the things that we, that we kind of wrestle with, with our minds, you can start to actually find the little good parts about the relationship because there's always something, especially if it's a mother, there's always something that we could find. And so I, I found the poetry part that she loved that kind of brought us together um in that way of having something that was really good and loving that I could focus on um and if your mother is still alive I think you have to you have to find you have to have healthy boundaries we always start with that but you also have to find a way to connect on a level that is accepting of what's happening for the moment and I think you it's hard and it's really, really hard. Um, but waiting for someone to admit that they're wrong or apologize is keeping you stuck and not living your life and having an expectation of something that, um, maybe can never be. So yeah. that was okay. a long thing. Sorry. <laughs> but poetry, I love, I love to read poetry and I love to walk on the beach. Um,
0: well, it a two for one answer. Um, <laughs> but that's, that's lovely. I enjoy being with my cat, cat. Um, and I also like being with friends. I like going out to eat, and I love to dance. I would love to start taking dance classes. I used to dance as a kid, and that brings me a lot of joy. So hopefully next time we talk about something like this, I'll have taken a dance class.
1: Anything else you'd like to add? No, I think that's wonderful. I would love to see you take a dance class cuz I used to love you did ballet as a child and I used to I love nothing more than going to your performances. It was so much fun to see you dance and I know you love doing all kinds of dance not just ballet and I Fun
0: fact I about love to my dance, dance days. I used to perform in the Nutcracker as yeah. a kid. You know, they take photos of you in your little Nutcracker outfits and I often would play one of the mice. And my mom used one of the photos of (laughs) me as a mouse. And my costume was like this big, fluffy mouse costume. And she used that photo as our family Christmas card one year. And then she had leftovers. So she used it again when I was in high school and sent this Christmas card of me dressed as a mouse to my friends and their families in high school.
1: You maybe put that on social media. I
0: shall post it. Um, <laughs> I think that would be great. Yeah. So have a nice little mental image of that. Um, but yeah, I love to dance. So Let me
1: just, could I revisit that? I know I did segue with that whole thing with, um, with traumas of mothers. Say what you want to say. I just want to go back again and just say that when you've experienced a trauma, the healing work has to be done by you and it's helpful if the person acknowledges that they caused the trauma or that they apologize for it, but often that's not the case. And it can be really devastating. And so I understand that because I've been through that. And sometimes the trauma can last longer because you didn't have, you know, someone who, you know, admitted it or had any remorse or, you know, the person may even still be doing it. So I realize and recognize that that is incredibly difficult because it, it gets the trauma into your whole body, into your whole being. So it's really, really important not to wait for that person to apologize. And you really just do the work and understand that you are, you are worthy. You are unbelievably worthy. And so you do the work of healing your own trauma And as you do the work of the healing of the trauma, I promise you, because this has happened for me, you start to get clear on what, what is okay for you and what isn't okay for you and what boundaries you need to set. And you start to get really clear when you are taking care of yourself. Um, You start to get clear on, it doesn't really matter what that other person is doing Mm -hmm. or saying. I mean, it matters because, but but it doesn't affect you. It doesn't have an, it doesn't have the power. I really want to say this very strongly Nothing that has ever happened to you has the power to name who you are because who you are is a loving, caring, incredible human being at your core. All of us are. And so not allowing other people's um, actions or behaviors um, to really affect us is not not easy. This is not easy work, but Mm -hmm. it is work that is so worth it because you are worth it.
0: It's worth it because you're worth it. Um, I love that. Thank you for that last little tidbit. Um, I see
1: one here, Michelle, someone has asked, if you don't mind, I see one here. (laughs) I could do this all day. I see one here that someone has asked um, how to handle a mother-in-law that's kind and that we get a lot of mother-in-law ones that's just kind in front of everyone else, but mean with you. This is an easy one. Don't, um, and then no one believes them. Don't put yourself in that situation. If she's kind in front of everyone else, always only be with her in front of everyone else. You know, really get creative and don't put yourself in a situation where you allow yourself to be abused. You take the reins and you set the boundaries and 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 don't put yourself in that situation. Okay. Because actually what could happen with that is if you don't put yourself in that situation where you're ever alone with her, it might make her a little bit crazy and she might start acting out even in front of people. So, you know, really, you're the boss of your life. You're the boss of the boundaries that you can set. So anyone that is having mother-in-law issues, um, just recognize that uh, don't put yourself in situations where where you have to take a side or you have to be in conflict. And I think you, we can get really creative about that and put yourself in situations where... um you know, the, the the truth of the whole relationship is seen by everyone. And so it's there's no really hiding or there's no any there's no, um, you know, that that you can get away with things behind the backs. Yeah. If that makes any sense. And I, I don't think know if that we, makes any sense. but
0: <laughs> Well, it'll make sense. I just think you got
1: to get creative sometimes and not put yourself in a situation. This person said everyone thinks you're crazy or well, you're you're not crazy um, if it's happening to you. So figure out what are some boundaries that you can set or what are some things that you can do that maybe they aren't even boundaries that you actually talk about They're boundaries within yourself?
0: Yeah. And I was going to say, um, if we didn't <clears throat> answer your question, it's probably because we're going to do a whole episode on it. And I think the in law mm. situation is something that we can True. dive into deeper with more, um, insight in a whole proper episode. So, um, We'll definitely get to all of the topics that came through in this little Q&A session at some point in an episode. So fear not. But um, this was really, really fun. And i if you all enjoyed this format, we can definitely do it again. But definitely keep sending us um, these questions and these topics because, of course, we love to hear from you. But we also love to give you the content that you are looking for. <laughs> So thank you. Yeah,
1: it was a lot of fun.
0: And thanks for your insights, Mom.
1: Thank you, Michelle. I love doing this work with you, and I love answering your questions, so keep them coming, everyone.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for listening and for being a supporter of the Barb Knows Best podcast. We're so grateful for all of you, and we've loved building this loving, supportive community with you all. If you haven't yet, please make sure that you are liked and subscribed to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple, Google, Spotify, um, so that you can stay up to date with every new episode. And if you haven't already yet, take a a few minutes to give us a review, um, give us five stars. That really helps us and helps us to continue to grow this podcast. Um, as always, make sure you're following us on social media at peaceful barb at Michelle Maros at barb knows best pod. You can continue to write into us with your questions, comments, concerns, podcast topic requests, all of the things we love, love, love hearing from you. It's truly like our favorite part of this whole podcast experience. So please stay connected with us and we're so grateful for all of you. Thank you for listening. Have a beautiful day whatever you, wherever you are, whatever you're doing. And we'll talk to you next week because as we know, Barb knows best. Bye.